It's Monday, May 18th, and we are studying 2 Peter. Let's get back into 2 Peter chapter 2. You remember the context here. It says that there were irrational prophets that are a lot like irrational animals, creatures of instinct. They're following their own desires. They're going to, which is the whole context of chapter 2, going to, as it says here in verse 13, suffer uh, wrong as the wages for their wrongdoing. Uh, and it talks about all the things that they do here in this context. And then it reminds us of the story of Balaam, verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They're not on the right path. They followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the gain of wrongdoing. Now, we finally, as we said yesterday, or I should say on Friday, we said in verse 16, we're going to split this in half and just deal with this last section of the story. It says he was rebuked, that is, Balaam, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And just for the sake of making sure we know the biblical story, this is a bit of an extended reading. Let's read the original story in Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 22, to give you a bit of this whole story of a speechless donkey and being rebuked by an animal. Okay, Balaam, as you remember, uh, on Friday we said was hired by Balak, and Balak had hired him to curse Israel because he was afraid of the threat that these traveling uh, nomadic Israelites were going to be on his kingdom. And so Balaam ends up going, and it says in verse 22 of Numbers 22, God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary, okay, which was in this case Balaam, and now he was riding on a donkey, on the donkey. I see the donkey, it was his donkey, and he had his donkey for a long time, as we'll see, and his two servants were with him. Verse 23, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, which is an interesting way to put this. I mean, the personification of this donkey uh, seeing something that is unseen. So this is a unique endowment that God gives this animal. He's standing in the road, and the angel of the Lord has a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. You can imagine riding this donkey. Balaam, it said, struck the donkey, hit the donkey, and he turned to her in the road. To turn her into the road, rather. Get him back on the path. The angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards and a wall with a wall on either side. And when, verse 25, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, there he is again, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. You can imagine uh, the scene. I mean, it's just, we've all been there when you've been in a situation where you're frustrated, things aren't working the way you want them to, and then you end up getting hurt. Your foot is being smashed up against the wall. So he struck her again. The angel Lord went ahead and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord the third time now, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, as yours would be too. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Here it comes. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me, which is interesting here as he's talking to his animal, right? <laughs> he's the fool in this case for on many levels. Uh, I wish that I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden uh, your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? I may have been a good donkey, right? <laughs> go the right direction. I do what I'm supposed to do. And he said, no. 
Then at that point, when he's trying to reason with this donkey, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is, it's wrong, it's perverse. It's not what it ought to be before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. Now listen to this. If she had not turned aside for me, surely just now I would have killed you. And this animal that you want to kill, that you're threatening to kill, I would have let your, your donkey live. There's the story of the talking animal, right? This animal that is the prophet for hire's mode of transportation that ends up seeing God here, the angel of the Lord, the personification, a theophany, you might say, the appearance of uh, this messenger of God here putting in the way the uh, sword, this kind of defense that you are not supposed to keep going. And Balaam just does not uh, respond to that until God opens his eyes and instead he has this conversation to this uh, with this donkey. Now, this is all about transgression. He's being rebuked for his transgression. And if you read the story in context, uh, you're going to be a bit confused because it doesn't seem like he's doing something wrong, at least in this point in the narrative. Matter of fact, let's go back up. I started our reading before in verse 22, but let's look now at Numbers chapter 22, verse 17. Here's Balak, the king, talking to Balaam about coming to be this prophet for hire to curse Israel. He says, for surely I will do you a great honor. Just come and work for me. I'll give you honor. And whatever you say, uh, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Whatever your price is, I'll, 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 I'll match it. Come, curse this people, Israel, for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though... Uh, Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. I would not go beyond the command of the Lord my God uh, to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam that at night and said to him, if the men were to come, if the men have come to you, call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went to meet the princes of Moab. So all of this, number one, we say, well, he doesn't look like he's in it for money here in verse number 18. And not only that, you've got God saying to Balaam, right? This is the real God of the Bible saying, go and rise and, and go with them. So we struggle sometimes with, at least in numbers, what's going on with his transgression, transgression here? Why would God tell him to go and then send the angel of the Lord here to stand in the way? And, and what we have to do is we have to read this not only in New Testament context, but Old Testament context to know that what we see on the surface, much like Judas being this uh, seemingly devoted follower of Christ, even uh, so concerned about good fiduciary responsibility that he's the money keeper and the accountant and the CFO among the disciples, he's pilfering on the side. And we don't even see that until afterwards when John looks back and recognizes that he was a thief helping himself to what was in the money bag. And so it is here that we can read between the lines in the story, and we're about to, but we get the clear commentary afterwards here in the New Testament, which is what we saw in the rabbinic writings, the Old Testament and the Talmud, lots of extra biblical writings about Balaam, because he does show up a lot. There's a lot of airtime for Balaam in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, look at verse 15. This is the verse we just dealt with prior to verse 16 here in 2 Peter 2. He says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, talking about the false teachers here, they have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, 
who, and this is what we know is true about him, he loved the gain from wrongdoing. Okay, That we know is his motive. As it says in Jude 11, Woe to them, they've walked in the way of Cain, they've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. They've gone off for the sake of gain for uh, to Balaam's heir, and they perished as in Korah's rebellion. Well, that's one example, Cain and Korah, but I want to look at this. Balaam's error, it's all about the sake of gain. Balaam here, in, in chapter 2, verse 15 of Second Peter, he loved the gain of wrongdoing. Well, you can see that even in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Old Testament, Moses writes these, and clearly we know in the verses and the books that surround the Numbers account, he was in this for the money. Take a look at this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 4. Because they did not meet you with bread and water, God's telling what cannot be uh, for Moab. It says, on the way, when you came out of Egypt, because they hired against you Balaam, son of Beor. And that picture here of hiring him is exactly what they did. Even though he you know, fiends this, this, uh, this piety. He's got this fake and phony false sense of, I'm just going to do, you know, whatever God says, whatever the real God says, I'm going to do it. And I don't want the money. That's all a ruse. Much like, just like, just like Judas giving this appearance of some kind of, of, of false piety. Uh, so we see in Balaam's life and we know that he was ultimately in it for the money. And we see that, um, he's restrained in his madness here, which I think is an interesting way to put this, because as we had just seen up in chapter 2, verse 12, that uh, the false teachers were called irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. This picture of irrational animals, if you look at our text here, a speechless donkey. I mean, this is an animal that God just enables to speak. And in this situation of speaking with a human voice, uh, it says his sin was restrained. His pathway into doing this for gain was restrained. And it reminds us in the context, and there's some irony in this all throughout, not only in the Numbers account, but in our passage in Second Peter chapter 2, that the false teachers are worse than irrational animals. The irrational animal ends up being the one who cautions the false teacher in this case uh, to... Um, uh, to do the right thing, that he's supposed to stop. Now, of course, in the passage, he allows him to move on. Why? Because God is going to use Balaam. And that's the, the last thing I want to focus on is the fact that he is called the prophet here, the prophet's madness. Well, was he a false prophet or a real prophet? Because the false teachers is what's in view in Second Peter chapter 2, and yet he's given this word prophet as though he was a true prophet. Well, there is truth in his prophecy. I said on Friday about Fonzie, you know, if you're of my generation, I guess, in happy days, not able to uh, apologize. He tries to spit it out. He can't do it. And that's the kind of the picture I always think of when I think of Balaam standing up to try and prophesy against Israel. He just can't do it. God wants him there to make a prophetic statement and to let the king of the foreign country know that Israel is God's chosen people. So he stands up to curse them and his curse comes out as a blessing. And there's several oracles of Balaam that we could look at and all the good things that God says through this prophet. His madness of trying to get money 
out of this whole situation, which he ended up getting as he leads them, as we said last time, into idolatry and immorality. Well, in this particular uh, oracle, this is the last one, one of several, that he gives, you can see how powerful these prophetic statements were. And they're, of course, all true, because God is speaking through a man who wants to do something uh, other than what he's doing. Just like God gives a voice to the donkey, this irrational animal, God uses this irrational prophet, and this is a, uh, uh, Hapax legomena here, the, the word madness, uh, which is, by the way, just to take a parenthetical statement here, I always like to explain some of the Greek words that have a compound with a preposition that shows some illustration. There's an analogy in this in the word, I, I talk about uh, kataphreneo, to think down upon. This is the word parafreneo, and phreneo is the word to think. Um, it's not to concentrate like kataphreneo, but to, uh, only time we see this compound in the Bible, uh, to think beside. It's like you're beside yourself, Paul said, but in this case, your brain is beside itself. It's not even doing what you intend. You're thinking one thing and you're doing something else. Well, in this case, he's out of his mind wanting the gain that he wants to, to get, his greed, even though he's pretending with this false piety to be someone who wants to do the will of God. Well, he ends up going there with a heart of greed, and then God puts in his mouth the words of truth. And I just want to show you these just to wrap up our study today about the fact that he was used as a prophet. Numbers 24, verse 15. And he took up his discourse, this is Balaam, and he says, this is the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, and one who acknowledges, um, I'm sorry, one who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty. So you have in all of this here, clarity about the fact that we're talking about God speaking through him, falling down with his eyes uncovered, now, here's just one powerful statement about Christ. Are you ready? Verse 17. I see him. This is very important. But not now. I behold him, but not near. And here he sees on this road, by the way, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, uh, as I even threw out without time to elaborate on it, the, the, the Christophany, the theophany, the, the, the embodiment here of God. And he sees now that coming from Israel is going to be this one. And he says, I see him. Not now, not in the... 15th century BC, but he says, I behold him, not near, not now, but look at this. We think of these concepts at Christmas. A star shall come out of Jacob, which of course is Israel, right? A scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is just Hebrew parallelism here, talking about the people of God that he's trying to curse. A scepter, that's the idea, a star and a scepter, the king, the ultimate king, it shall crush the forehead of of Moab. You can imagine paying a guy to curse your enemies, and he says of your enemies, hey, there's going to be one coming. He's not near, not now, but eventually, and he's going to be the ultimate king, and the scepter and the star and the, 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 the great one, the monarch, is going to arise out of this nation, and he's going to be not only crushing Moab, but having the dominion of all the people of the earth. I want you to think for a second about that. That is so far uh, ahead of the monarchy. We've got 400 years to go until we actually have King Saul on the stage. And this is a picture of a people that would not even have a monarch for a long time. And the picture is of a monarch, not Saul, not David, not Solomon, but ultimately the great son of David, Jesus Christ, the star that comes out of Jacob, the scepter, the ruler, the king that comes out of Israel who will become the one who rules all people. And even though Balak wanted to hire Balaam to say bad things about Israel, the truth of the prophet's words, a false prophet for hire who speaks the prophetic truth about Christ in this passage, is a great reminder of God's sovereignty over all things, even the tongue of a donkey and the tongue here of a false prophet and God 
and his will and his prophetic promise is established in scripture and we celebrate the fact that God is um, working out his will, working out the counsel of his will after all of his plans are laid out to the prophets, he fulfills them in this case, 1400 years later. And we celebrate that looking back now 2000 years ago at the coming of Jesus Christ to earth. So some insights here, I hope into Balaam and Balak and uh, into Christ. And we'll pick up this more tomorrow on Tuesday. So thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe. We'll be back as we continue through our study of second Peter chapter two.